Well, just take a seat. It's been amazing how God has cleansed the temple and he said he's going to make it a house of prayer for all nations. Isn't that what's amazing what he's done? He's sort of cleaned out the place for the last few weeks. He's done amazing uh, work. I was thinking of um, Pastor Mike's last message when he talked about the father heart out of his own cry for a father's heart. And now he's carrying a father's heart to the nations. Isn't God awesome how he takes the very cry we have in our own heart, he encounters us, and then he makes it a launching pad for a ministry. And then I was thinking of um, Pastor Lynn, you know, the spiritual abuse and the background of brokenness, and to see so many people healed and touched by someone who can make that a launching pad. God is good, and many people have come into a place of forgiveness and release and healing because God's been doing God stuff. And, uh, and then we have Gerald last weekend. I'll just mention Gerald again in a minute. But I just felt uh, um, Pastor Mike wanted to now shift the gear of the church into faith. We're going to get into faith. We've got to get now and start moving ahead after having cleaned the temple. So I was thinking, well, what's my background? And, and why, why do I speak about faith? And I was, <laughs> I was thinking of my background. I was raised in a church that didn't believe in the Holy Ghost. In fact, um, I was thinking of this verse today that's possible to have leaders um, in, in Matthew 23, 13. You can have churches where the prevailing mindset is quite anti-faith and the things of God. It says they shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. They don't go in themselves and they stop others going in. You know, it's possible to be in churches like that. Because if the senior man is a door opener and if he won't go in, there's actually not much chance of those under him going in either. So that's why when Mike's out there stretching his mantle and touching and experiencing things of God, we should rejoice because wherever he goes, we can go. And even though right now in Hastings we're not seeing the miracles and the things that he's seeing there, it's going to come. <laughs> and this is what we want to see increase. What can we touch and experience? Or why do we experience it there anyway? Why were there seven crutches left behind last week and real, real uh, leg braces left behind because this is what God has for us and yet we're still got to grow into it but as I said I came from a church where we just didn't believe in the Holy Ghost in fact the funny thing was I was thinking last week when Gerald Bradley was here young adults from our church in Levin went to Wellington to train to teachers college and stuff and some of the prime young people from our church started going to open-air campaigners and Gerald Bradley got them baptized in the Holy Ghost <laughs> So they came back to our church with the Holy Ghost. You know what happened? They had to leave because we were right. In fact, the cream of the church being deceived. <laughs> this is my background. I mean, we were, we were right. And not only did we believe we were right when we were wrong, but we were so dogmatic about it. We were so pig-headed about it. We delighted ourselves in our revelation and our superiority of our knowledge. In fact, when I went to university, the first closest girlfriends I had were spirit-filled. And I mocked them. I laughed at them. I jeered at them because they were so deceived. <laughs> Whoa! Man, God had to do a work on me. Did he have to do a work on me? It was amazing that he could take such a person. And not only that, I, my family background, um, I came from a whole line of teaching professors and English um, you know, university professors who really worship the mind. They're very strong and rational thinking and very proud of their, uh, their minds. <laughs> and, and the mind ruled everything. The mind ruled all emotions. The mind ruled all of life. 
because we were so um, proud of our, our, um, our, our, our wonderful minds. <laughs> oh, I remember having to repent of making an idol of all this rational thinking. I mean, because this is my background. And, and for most of my family members, it still is. The Holy Ghost stuff is just defies the mind. How can the mind understand the things of the spirit? It can't. It's foolishness to the mind. But when you're a mind-orientated person, well, you end up by rejecting the Holy Ghost because you can't reconcile the two. So that's what God had to start with with me. In fact, I was even a pastor's wife and I didn't believe I was saved. I was so riddled with unbelief. <laughs> you might think that's hard to believe. And I've got to speak on faith. <laughs> it's because God has had to take hold of my mind and my heart and do a work in me and get rid of a lot of stuff. And I was thinking the two things that um, really hinder us going on are two things. One is unbelief, which was just a prevailing spirit around my life for so many years, and unforgiveness. These are enemies of our faith, enemies of us moving on in God. And I thank God that he's largely dealt with the unforgiveness issue. In fact, the two of them go together. It talks in Mark 11 about... Um, about uh, um, faith, he said, um, uh, you know, the market even passage about, you know, shifting this mountain and doing faith stuff. This is how you speak to things, you speak to these mountains, faith, faith language. Then the next thing he says, and if you hold things against people, you've got to forgive. Because the two um, things are very important keys to be able to move on. We can't move in faith if we're full of unforgiveness. It will just block the flow and, and choke out what God wants to do. But praise God, I think we're clean or on the journey. And now we've got to deal with the unbelief or the mindsets. Because I believe that's something else. God is wanting to shift in this church. So my message this morning is, where's how can we cultivate an atmosphere in this place for the miraculous? We want to cultivate an atmosphere. You know, it's possible to have prevailing atmospheres over places that hinder the Holy Ghost. Um, if you look at Mark 6, is a great example of this. In Mark 6, Jesus came to his own place, and, um, and it says in verse 5, he could do no mighty work there. Jesus himself, the anointed son of God, came to his own town, and he couldn't do any mighty work. So he just did some teaching to raise the faith level. Okay? But the same Jesus, at the end of the same chapter, he went to another place, and it says in verse um, uh, 55, they, everybody ran around everywhere. Hey, Jesus is here. Come, bring your sick people. Everybody come, 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 because Jesus is here. And it says, as many as touched him were made well. Isn't that amazing? The same Jesus in one place where the prevailing atmosphere was full of unbelief, hardly any miracles. The same Jesus in the same chapter went to another place and everybody was healed. We can say, well, Mike Connell in one place and huge miracles can come to another place in one or two. What's the difference? There's the prevailing mindsets. And I believe God really wants to teach us and get hold of us in this area of um, our prevailing thinking. What goes on inside us, in the subconscious, those that have been doing search for life, you're trying to get hold of your personal beliefs that you really, 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 really believe. In fact, you've believed it all your life. And all of a sudden, you're challenged with the thought, 
maybe it doesn't agree with the word of God. And that's a challenge. That's a struggle to actually get through what you really, really believe and have believed for 30 or 40 years actually isn't true. I'll give you a home truth. It's just uh, my latest experience of realizing still how strongly I can hold a belief for a long, long time when it shouldn't be such a long, hard thing to change your thinking. Um, we were at Manifest Presence Conference recently, and I decided to babysit one night while the rest of them went to the meeting. So that was wonderful. And um, half past ten, the people came home. Now, I had a prevailing mindset I actually thought that when Pastor Mike came home, he would come in and he'd say, Hi, darling, I'm home. Come and join us for supper. And that's what I thought. And I thought I'd hear his car come in. I sat there in bed. I thought I'd hear his car come in. You know, I hung on to that belief. At quarter to 12, I thought, where is he? I text him, no reply. Quarter to one, I better go and find him. <laughs> it took me from half past ten to quarter to one to even think differently. I thought, wow, how many know that out of painful, uncomfortable experiences, if you stop and think, the thing is, what's he trying to show you about yourself? (laughs) I had to admit, it took hours to shift my thinking, and all I had to do was to get off the bed, open the door, the car was there. Now, I don't know if you really know Pastor Mike, like I know Pastor Mike, he's incredibly able to lock in and focus intently for hours on end. That's his gifting. When he goes to meetings overseas, he'll lock in six or seven hours and he's a homing pigeon. He's just out on another zone. Well, actually, he can still do that in, in life. You might actually find him go past you one day and he won't see you. <laughs> and it don't, it's not rejection. It's not that he doesn't love you. It's not that he doesn't want to talk to you. It's, not that, it's just that he's actually on a, on a mindset and a focus thing and he actually doesn't see you. Well, that was the night with me. Um, the books, the marriage books might say there's another way of operating, but the reality was he was locked in, deep conversation, had one knock on the door, and then from then on he was in another zone. <laughs> and um, when I opened the door, he's actually two doors away, had been there for hours, but I just hadn't gone looking. <laughs> but we're like that in the church. We can actually believe and believe wrong for a long, long time. And I believe right now God is actually trying to get us to shift some thinking. And it will be a surprise to us because we really thought we were right for a long, long time. So this is what I think God's really trying to do. And um, he wants to get hold. There's a great verse in Ephesians 4.23. And even Gerald started talking about this last year, last week, about shifting our thinking. And, and he wants to renew our minds. He really wants to change our thinking. And a lot of these are in deep, deep grooves, and they've been there for a long, long time. But in Ephesians 4, 23, he talks about the spirit of our mind, that we would be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Now, this actually is not just your thinking that you're aware of. This is getting down into what's locked in and programmed in us, our subconscious stuff, the things that we actually aren't even really aware of unless, one, we get a revelation from God or you have a personal experience, which is uncomfortable, but it can be a learning point. How many have had those in the last few months? The key thing is to make it a learning point is if you just say one thing, what's he trying to tell me about me? 
What can I learn from this? And if we ask those questions, they can be huge learning points. But really, God's doing a lot of things now to get hold of our prevailing mindset and to shift it. Because some of our prevailing mindsets have to change to create an atmosphere here where the miraculous can really flow, like, like he wants it to flow. So, um, see, some of our prevailing mindsets are hard to grapple with. Do we really believe God is good all the time and only good things come from heaven above? Okay, you, you think you know that. Then what happens if your loved one gets cancer? What do you think then? Now, this is where people can, in circumstances, actually waver in their thinking. Some even go into gross error and say, well, God gave you this to grow your character. God has got no cancers to give. That cancer did not come from God. Any good and perfect things come from God. He cannot give you cancer. He's a good God all the time and only gives you good things. He came to bring you life, abundant life. Devil's bad. He comes out to rob, kill and destroy. When sin came into the world, sickness came into the world, and he's the source of it. We've got to know these things because we can waver under life experiences. And even if you've got a life experience like that right now, even as Pastor Steve was saying before, there's two verses I'd like to leave with you. One is Romans 4.20. This is how faith operates. Abraham told he was going to have a child in his old age. Now, all circumstances look contrary. But what did he do? In spite of what it looked like, he believed the word of the Lord and gave glory to God in the midst of the contrary situation. That's one thing to do. Don't look at the circumstances. Continue to honor and glory, glory to God because he's still God. He's still a good God. And if you do that, God calls that strong faith. That's strong faith. People are weak in faith because levels of faith. If you're going to be a strong faith person, that's how you'll behave. When things don't look right, you'll be giving God the glory and praise and still lifting him up as, as a mighty, wonderful God and a good God at all times. And then another verse to take is that one in Daniel 3, 17 to 18. Here was uh, Daniel about to be thrown into the fiery furnace. He said, my God is able to deliver me from the fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, no way would I bow to your God anyway. God is still able to heal me. And even if he doesn't, he's still a healing God. He's still a miraculous working God. He hasn't changed. Just my experience hasn't come up to that level of truth yet. But he's still God. And he's able to. And I'll never uh, doubt that he is a God that heals. Besides, he's already paid for my healing. He's already paid for it. He said he's already took all our sins and sicknesses on him. So he's already paid for it. He's able to, and he's paid for it. So that is the truth. But we can, we can still struggle with some of these issues. What about um, oh, those that are doing Bible school? There's a beautiful picture we looked at in Bible school about um, the, the verse in Colossians 2.15. It talks about when Jesus, he triumphed over the enemy, and they came through the city with a huge triumphant um, celebration, which used to happen in those days, whenever a king had gone to battle and uh, stripped the enemy of all their power, and they came through the city, and all the foreign kings were behind the chariot, and all the goods that they'd spoiled were behind the chariots, and they went through the city like a huge triumphant march. Then the question said, well, if that was happening right now, where were you in that picture? 
Would you be watching it and saying, yay, Jesus? He said, we're actually seated with him in that chariot. Because we're seated with him in heavenly places, and we share that authority and that victory, and we can exercise it. And if you don't know that, you need to come next Friday and Saturday, because all um, David's message is the authority of the believer. What it's like to live in that chariot, already having spoiled the enemy and seated with Christ in heavenly places. By, by the way, one other thing about David McCracken, he's a prophet. In the office of a prophet, and we bring him into this church in the office of a prophet. Now, one thing he does not want anybody to say to him, if you attend the seminar, is anything at all about the church. He doesn't want to hear a thing. Because God will speak to him before he comes, and we want to hear the word of the Lord, and he doesn't want any other external stimuli at all from anybody. Okay? So I just encourage you all, don't say a thing to him about what you think about the church, where you think it's going, what God's doing, or da-da-da-da. We don't want him to know a thing, and he doesn't want to know a thing. We want the word of the Lord. Okay? Hey, good. It'll be great. In fact, we sat there. I went to this intensive up in Auckland, 12 people, and we had a discussion amongst these senior pastors. How many people do we know that we can bring into the church in the office of a prophet to bring this ministry in? Yeah, there are very few names we could come up with. Very few people that function purely in the office of a prophet to bring a word of the Lord for the church. So it'll be a very special weekend for us next weekend. Another thing we can doubt doubt with, is God willing to heal me? And we pray, God, if you're willing, please heal me. That is still not right thinking. Because God has already said, I am willing. Matthew 8, 3. Somebody came to him. If you're willing, can you heal my son? He said, I am willing. And he still hasn't changed that statement. He is still willing. He is willing. He is willing. He's never not been willing. And that prayer that sometimes comes out, you know, if it be your will, does not apply to healing. It applies to surrendering and of yielding and, and consecration to God of your flesh. But as far as healing goes, he is willing all the time. He is willing. So we've got to shift some of our thinking because we're still grappling with some of these issues. Anyway, um, I've been going through Mark's gospel, and I just want to draw your attention to a few passages of Mark's gospel today. Mark 3. This is the first time I, um, I read this, and then I suddenly, I've been, as I'm going through Mark's gospel and looking at these situations of Jesus with people, I've been getting such a revelation as I enter in to each one of the characters in the story, and I want to say, God, I want to feel how you feel. I want to hear what you hear. I want to see what you see. I want, I want this to become life to me. And I was reading this passage about um, Jesus coming into a church, maybe like our church, and it was a Sabbath day, and there's a person there in need. He got the person to stand up. And then he looked around the people, and he could sense an atmosphere. He looked around, and these people were watching him whether he was going to heal on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. What a terrible prevailing atmosphere. But, I mean, this can still be in churches in New Zealand. People can be wanting to move out in the spirit and do God's stuff, and there can be a predominant atmosphere of, uh, you know, just we know the rules. We know, you know, we think we know all about our doctrine and teaching and all about the Sabbath, and what's he going to do? Is he going to cross our rule books, or what's he going to do, you know? I thought, ah, what would it have been like? Jesus, standing there, able to heal somebody, have a heart for this person who had a need, 
and aware of that prevailing atmosphere. He was actually very aware of it. And it says, he, he looked around them with anger in verse 5. He was grieved by the hardness of their hearts. And I thought, God, what would you feel in our church if people were there ready to do the supernatural? Would you be grieved at the heart response of the people in our church? Would you feel prevailing mindsets? Would, would you be angry at us for the way we think about things? You know, what would it be like? And I was trying to see or sense what would it be like for God if this was the place he was wanting to move. And he asked two very pertinent questions. First of all, he says, do you want to do good or do evil? In spite of your Sabbath and all your law, but what's the key thing, good or evil? You know, the Bible says, often gives us opposites. He says, the fear of God is to depart from evil. So if there's no evil thinking, there'll be a fear of God. There'll be a prevailing attitude of God, you're God, you can do what you like, we love you, this is all about you anyway, you're the head of this church, you do what you want to do and we'll celebrate it. You know, that's, that's, that would be a fear of God. Then he says, do life or death? He's really only concerned with life and death issues. Is it going to bring life to this person or are you going to kill them with your words? <laughs> You're going to speak into them just negative stuff that's going to go, they're going to be crushed and dead in their spirit. Or you're going to minister life. Those are actually only the key questions because Jesus came to bring life and abundant life. In fact, it's funny in the Old Testament, you know, it's quite different. There's all about awareness of sin. In the Old Testament, when lepers were around, people had to get away because if they touched a leper, they could get, um, get leprosy. But in the New Testament, it's all about the resurrection, life, and anointing of God. And he touched lepers, and they were healed. It's a whole different sort of ball game. You know, he overcomes death with life. He's the carrier of life. And we are too, because we're made like him. So um, I thought, yeah, just that that sense, God, what is the prevailing atmosphere here? What is it really like? And what do you want to shift, and how do you shift it? And he went, um, he went on and said at the end in verse 6, And the Pharisees went out and plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. I think this is a little bit like the church I came out of. The Pharisees actually didn't believe in the power of God. And the Herodians didn't believe in God at all. They were atheists. If you don't believe in the power of God, you can actually come into agreement with people that don't even believe God and put God right out of your church and just do stuff and let church go on and it wouldn't matter whether God was there or not. Because actually you're just about carrying on like unbelievers if you're not giving God room to move and believing he's a powerful God that wants to do supernatural. So there's, you get into agreement and there's many churches really that just God can't do his stuff. Because really the prevailing thinking of all come into agreement and we'll just keep all that out of the place. Wow, isn't that awful? Wouldn't it be awful if that happened here? So I've been really trying to shift my thinking. And, um, you know, we live in the house we build. The house here that is what we build as, as individuals and as a corporate people. And what prevailing atmosphere is going to be in this church is what we allow, what we cultivate, what we um, bring forth ourselves. So I want to... Um, talk about three things that I've been working on, and I have to give um, Bill Johnson credit for these because he's drawn my attention to some of these uh, scriptures, and I've been pondering on them and trying to apply them to my own life. So um, it's just three uh, facets I want to focus on today. 
The first one, to shift our thinking, I want to look at Mark 6. I mean, we're going through Mark, and it's been really quite interesting. In Mark 6, verse 52, um, Jesus had done a tremendous miracle. He had fed the 5,000 people. But then he said a very interesting statement about his disciples. They hadn't understood about the lows because their heart, heart was hardened. In spite of this miracle being done, it actually hadn't shifted their thinking at all. And he, he demonstrated food being multiplied. In fact, it was multiplied by their own hands. He took the food and broke it up. They went around all the people, and as they handed it to them, the food was multiplied. So they experienced firsthand the supernatural power of God. But at the end of the thing, inside, in the spirit of their heart, they actually hadn't shifted after being exposed to that miracle. And that really grieved the heart of God. They hadn't understood the thing. And he goes on in chapter 8, and he did another feeding of the 4,000. And then in, 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 in verse 14, he starts to address this issue. And um, these, they had two miracles where food was multiplied, and then they got in the boat, and they're going to go somewhere, and they forgot to take bread, and they all started reasoning. The voice of reason kicks in, and uh-oh, we haven't got enough bread, and they all started having a little discussion amongst themselves. Um, and verse 14, they'd, just, they'd forgotten to take bread, and, um, and then Jesus took this opportunity to speak into them. He said, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, leaven is a little bit of thinking that spreads through a whole group. So the leaven of the Pharisees is the predominant thinking that there is no supernatural, and... Um, and, and the Pharisees in the situation of bread would probably say, well, there's no bread, so we can identify with those people that don't have bread. That's why we have to go through some of these things so our hearts will be moved and compassionate. That is not a miraculous God, is it? That thinking is not God. It is poverty thinking. It's the Pharisee leaven of thinking, well, you know, there's no supernatural around here. It's just reason. And he said the leaven of the Herodians, well, they don't even believe God exists. So they probably say, well, God helps those that help themselves and we don't actually need God in here to do anything. He said, we're not to have the leaven of the Pharisees or the leaven of the Herodians and those two coming into agreement and squeezing out the presence and power of God. He wants the leaven of the kingdom. The leaven of the kingdom, the thinking of the kingdom is that we serve a God who's powerful. We serve a God who does miracles. We serve a God of the supernatural. And let that leaven, leaven the whole lump and get into our thinking so it's a prevailing thinking that the leaven of this place is kingdom of God mentality and God can do God stuff and he can do the supernatural. Whoa, I'm excited about this stuff. Oh, and you know what makes leaven work? This is the worst part though. Leaven works. Have you tried making bread under heat? Under heat, you'll discover what sort of leaven you've got inside you. You'll discover your prevailing thinking because under heat and pressure, that's when it comes up. Whoa, isn't that good? Okay, hardened heart. He went on to say, okay, beware this end. And it's because they're reasoning. Now, we want to listen to the voice of God, but there's two other voices that are very powerful. One is the voice of reasoning and logic. And this can come in and take over the voice of God. And another, now this is one that came up here. They were reasoning. And they said, we haven't got any bread. And he said, why are you reasoning? Why are you thinking out of your mind and out of the lack and out of the need? 
Don't you yet perceive? Haven't you picked up what I'm trying to tell you? Don't you understand? Is your heart still hardened? You've got eyes. Don't you see with your spiritual eyes? You've got ears. Don't you hear a thing I'm saying? Don't you remember? And then he asked them some awkward questions. Okay, when I broke five loaves and fed 5,000, how many baskets were left over? Ah, uh, 12. Okay, when I took seven and the 4,000 people, how many baskets did I Ah, uh, seven. Why haven't you got it? Why don't you still understand? Didn't you get anything out of that miraculous? Ugh. <laughs> and I thought, how many miraculous things has God done for me? And my thinking about God is still hasn't shifted. We're just as bad as them. And so what I um, have, have been really challenged to do is to remember the supernatural things and, and shift my thinking so that I've, I think differently from then on. So on the way to Auckland on Monday with my friend Jill, I stopped and I bought a book of remembrance. And I'm encouraging you as a church to do this. I believe if you were to write in a book of remembrance the things that God has done for you, write them down. Don't forget them. He says, I did that for you, and you still doubt me. And we're just like that. He's done heaps of things for us, and we haven't shifted in our thinking of him at all. Oh, and I started writing and writing and writing. God has done so much. Like, I'll just take three little stories. Um... Remember, we had 10 years or so serving this Christian Outreach Centre movement. And at the end of that 10 years, there was a transition, a little bit of misunderstanding. But the end result was we, were, we, we bowed down as being chairman of the, of the movement and, and moved on into um, taking the church out of it. But we just felt a little bit kind of not that there was no acknowledgement of the, um, the work we did. And, you know, you just carry the stuff. But you know what God did for us? We went all the way to South Africa. And a wonderful man and woman of God, Fred and Nellie Roberts, had been in the ministry for years and years and years, decided that they wanted to buy us a gold watch each. Gold watch from Fred and Nellie Roberts in South Africa. Now, we've talked about gold watches being given out or watches in places. as just an acknowledgement of person's years of service. Now, what do I remember about a gold watch now? God never forgets your labor of love. I should never, ever, ever need reminding of that again. If God has done something quite significant to give you a little message, we should never, ever forget that. I should never doubt that anything I do in secret, everything that's never, ever acknowledged, doesn't mean that God hasn't seen and he will repay and he just wants us to know that he knows because he's not unrighteous to forget your labor of love. But some of us forget that. We don't get thanked. We don't get acknowledge, we can actually just get, well, we just forget that God doesn't forget. Another situation, um, I had Cecilia's job at one stage and um, my parents were moving out of their house they'd been in for years and years and years and all our family were going to meet on Monday and clean out the house. But on that particular Sunday, I had all the coaches and their families for, for um, lunch at our place and I couldn't go before that was over because that was my priority. And I went down I got shocked when I got down because the job had already been done. Every room had been cleaned out. The stuff had all gone. And I thought, huh, I might have wanted some of that. <laughs> and I was really having a little grapple in my mind. They assured me there was nothing there of any value. It was all a lot of rubbish anyway. I thought, well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, 
was, I was in bed that night, and I, I wrestled with it. And then I finally got God thought coming through. Hey, I'm your portion in this life. I'm able to provide for your every need. You don't need that stuff. Get off the grass and just acknowledge that every good thing comes from me, and I am your provider. That was good, but what was even better, the next day my mother came into my room. And she said, darling, there's something here I would like to give you. It's, it's a special ring. It's a special ring. She said it was given to me because when I was growing up, our home was a place where lots of people came. And my girlfriend from school came and gave her heart to the Lord in our home. And she used to grow as a Christian in our home. And she never married. She went on. And when she died, she gave me this ring. And I want to give it to you. Wow. That ring tells me God is the portion. Any other stuff is just stuff. There's nothing more important than serving God and seeking first the kingdom, and everything else will be added. In fact, just for your interest, I actually lost the big mama diamond one day, and it cost the insurance company $20,000 to replace it. (laughs) God is good all the time, but sometimes we've just got to get in touch with our own lessons. A third one, housing. We bought three houses in our life, our married life. First one we bought in Danivek in the late 1970s. The Lord gave us a price, 14700 <laughs> Wow, I thought it was like that now. But anyway, the people selling the house really wanted 15000 And they advertised and advertised and advertised for about three months. And um, Liz Lowe's parents were our pastors. So we remember going to your mum's, Liz, and saying, well, should we go up to 15000 Because, you know, it's pretty close. She said, well, did you hear from the Lord or didn't you? Well, well, yeah, we heard from the Lord. She said, hang on to your price. But it took another few months of advertising, and then they released it to us at that price. But the thing was, we were teaching in the high school, and we just assumed we'd get second mortgage from the PSIS. But when we went to apply for it, there was no second mortgages. So we only had one mortgage, and we counted all our pennies on settlement day. I think we had a dollar left over. But within six months, we were out of the high school on about a quarter of the salary, and we wouldn't have been able to afford the other mortgage anyway. This isn't God good. That was house number one. House number two, God spoke to us quite clearly when we came here. You work in the field, and once you've got the field established, then get your own house. So in other words, don't even look for houses until I tell you. So we had a manse behind the, the church. And that was our home, and we had to establish the church, get the church up and cracking, out of mortgage, out of debt, just get it up and cracking, do what he said to do, don't worry about the housing thing, until they needed our house for offices, because the church had grown out, and they were going to take over the manse for church offices. Then it was time to get a house. We didn't have much time to look, so we gave a job description to to a um, real estate agent, and said, give us a ring when you find this, and uh, she gave us a ring, oh yeah, hasn't even been advertised, so we just moved in very effortlessly. And that was great. We got it almost paid off, and we thought, wow, we'll be debt-free, we'll be able to give more. That was actually our thinking. And then in a conference like Dave McCracken's conference, two prophets said to us, God's got a big house for you. I thought, we aren't even looking for one. But two people said they got one. And then we looked at one or two and said, oh, don't want to get sidetracked from what we're called to do. It's your department, Lord. So Justin Mason came up and I found the house for you. I was looking at some house for my daughter, and this house has actually got your name on it. I don't know if it's for you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it does look like us. Then Mike opened his daily reading. What was God going to say to him that day? And he says, and he opened his next day reading Mark 10, verse 30. 
and um, God said, "Who? No man having um, left houses, brothers, sisters, father, for my sake or the gospel, shall not receive a hundredfold at this time houses. Now this is the time I'm going to give you houses, and this property actually has two houses. Oh, you want us to have? Okay. So we actually had a word from the Lord. We we're quite convinced it was going to come, and then." Um, and I actually had a vision. I just saw the, a great big ribbon around this house and God was giving it as a present. And then we went to buy it. He said, sorry, it's sold. Thought, oh, <laughs> okay. Well, if anything happens, change your mind, let us know. Got on with the job. One man came out to see us one day and told us what a terrible house it was. And, you know, it was really, it was, a, it was a mess of a house. And actually, he had an agenda. He really wanted it. But three months later, the guy rang up and said, you still want it? <laughs> and, and it was released to us. So if I've had experiences like that with houses, I dare not even consider for a moment that God's not able to look after the housing situation. He's able to give the times and seasons. He's even able to provide the right place. And I shouldn't have to even doubt in that area of testimony again because he wants to shift our thinking of complete trust in him from our experiences. So if we write... Um, a, a record of some of the things. The main thing is, what did I learn from that? And is it still alive in me? And um, there's a very um, strong verse in, in Psalm 78. The things that God has done, even the stories in the Bible about what it's like, we're entrusted with. In Psalm 78, 9 to 10, it said, these children, they turned back in the day of battle. Under pressure, they pulled back from God. And why? They didn't keep the covenant of God. They didn't remember all about God. They didn't walk in his ways. They didn't carry on thinking and walking in the things that God had shown them. They forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. Oh, and because they forgot all the good things God had done, when the next sort of battle and pressure came on, oh, they pulled back from God. So I believe God really wants to get our attention as a church to um, actually learn, learn from the things God's done in your personal life and listen and learn from what he's trying to teach us corporately. Not just rattle it off as great stories, but did we actually shift in the spirit of our mind and our thinking as a result of what God's done for us? Because then it's ours. You know, our minds take a lot of persuading about things. But these things are meant to actually shift our thinking. I'm going to run out of time. There's two other things I really want us to um, change. One is learn. Who thinks they need to take more notice of what God's done in their lives and learn from it? Have a show of hands. Maybe go home and write a book of remembrance. Maybe say, have I actually shifted or am I like the disciples? I haven't learned a thing, even though I've seen God do amazing things. Oh, let's shift. Second thing is listen to him. What he's currently saying. Um, in Mark 8, going back to Mark, um, these disciples, I mean, we're just as bad as they, them. Um, in Mark 8, 27, um, Peter, uh, Jesus said to him, now, who does everybody say that I am? And Peter said, ah, but some say, yeah, John the Baptist, some say Elijah and one of the prophets. He said, well, who do you say I am? And Peter gave a great revelation. Well, you are the Christ. I know who you are. You are. He had a revelation, right? He had an amazing revelation. And then, going straight on from that, Jesus said, well, actually, I'm going to suffer and be rejected and be killed 
And after three days, I'm going to rise again. Oh, now, what popped out of Peter then was not hearing God. God was telling him something very, very significant. He'd already had a measure of revelation and how he had some more things. And Jesus wanted him to listen to what he is saying. And he speaks to us. But sometimes something pops up. Where did that come from? And what pops up is another voice, the voice of humanity, a voice of pity yourself. Christians shouldn't suffer. Some people really think that, that Christians shouldn't suffer. Maybe they need to go and talk to some of the Chinese pastors that have been in prison for their faith. Jesus suffered. And sometimes we suffer because of our own stupidity. We haven't listened to warnings. But sometimes we suffer for righteousness' sake and we haven't done anything wrong. But actually Christians do suffer. That's part of the package deal, that God is with us and able to take us through. But another voice came up and said, Oh, pity yourself, pity yourself. Don't do that, Lord. That doesn't sound right. And this mighty apostle of the church, foundation man of the church, was severely rebuked. That is not kingdom talking. It's another voice, Satan speaking through you. not having got in your mind the things of the kingdom. You're thinking humanity and protecting yourself stuff. Challenge this thinking. That didn't come from... You know, even Jesus himself had this pop up in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew that he'd come for the purpose of the cross. But even under the pressure, he said, oh, if there's another way, where did that come from? He knew there was no other way. But the humanity still rises up. But he says, even so, not my will but yours is done. That's when it's not my will but yours but done comes in. When we want to protect ourselves and have it nice for us, but actually, this is the way he wants us to go. So, um, so in spite of that, he didn't get it. Hey, how many of you have actually longed for a heavenly encounter where you just see into the heavens and see things of the heavens? You know, we can all have one right now because God gives us one in the next chapter. He actually took this Peter who couldn't get this understanding that Jesus was going to die and he gave him a very privileged insight. He took him up to the Mount of Transfiguration and we could all be, sometimes you picture these things, what would it have been like just say I was sitting on that side of the hill and watching this thing happen. And Jesus went up with these three disciples. And then all of a sudden, he, he got all white and shining and glistening and his glory was all being seen upon him. And then Moses and Elijah turn up. Elijah was the person who was just caught up from heaven. He didn't die. And Moses was one that died. And they were all talking. And the Bible said they're actually talking about what was going to happen, Jesus' death and his and this, you know, what was going to happen in Jerusalem. And Peter could actually sit there and look at this scene, and he could have learned, he could have listened. I think if he'd only listened, he wouldn't have opened his mouth again. But in spite of that, he had all his teaching. In fact, he was partly right. I think he perceived it was the Feast of Tabernacles, and it was significant, and so he operated out of what his body of knowledge was and started to talk. But right now, there was experiential things happening that were now things that he had to listen to, which were beyond his frame of reference. I mean, for him to understand the whole thing about Jesus dying and re- was just out of his frame of reference. But if he had listened, he could have not only been told by Jesus about it, but even seen a picture of it. And he still started talking and interrupting with his own ideas. 
I, thought, I must be like Peter. I probably would have done the same, had my own opinions on it all. And a voice from heaven said, this is my greatly loved son. Listen to him, will you? Just listen. Zip your lip and listen. So, wow. Listen to him. He's actually telling us stuff that's beyond our frame of reference at the moment. He's telling us about the kingdom age and fully mature sons of God doing stuff that, well, we don't even know much about. But he's revealing to us and he's trying to teach us stuff that just as hard for us to understand as the crucifixion was for Peter to understand. But the still the same cry goes out, listen to him. Just don't worry about all your teaching and things you think you know. Because right now, there's revelation stuff coming, and it's new things, and it's now stuff. And listen to it, because I'm trying to tell you things. Whoa. So first of all, learn. Second, listen. Listen, listen, listen. And, um, and I've been going through these stories, and as I've positioned myself as part of the people in the stories, God's been telling me all sorts of things. Because you can... Get a revelation yourself or encounter yourself from these stories in Mark. You need to write to the little girl, the dead little girl that was asleep. And I was a little girl inside that was asleep. And he was saying, little girl, wake up. You know? And, and you can be in each one of these stories and one of the characters and hear God speak to you directly a now word. And it's very important to listen. Um, you know, I've been Herodias in the other story. I've, but what's God saying to me? Because... Um, he wants really to teach us a few things and just listen to him and now with what he's currently saying. And the last attitude is what um, Kalinda touched on in the offering message. The third, third thing I think we can cultivate in our church is be thankful about the little things he's done. Just keep being grateful and thankful. Appreciate, value what he's done, even the little things. We mightn't see the crutches left behind. But if somebody's had a, a sore back healed, wow, thank you, Jesus. You are so awesome. We thank you and appreciate you have done that. Um, you know, in Romans 1.21, God's people went on a big downward spiral. And it started off with, they just weren't thankful. If we stop being thankful, we can go down, 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 and our own thinking takes over, and we really go down into... Um, what the Bible calls a reprobate mind, or a mind that's not lined up with the Word of God. But if we keep being thankful, we'll keep ourselves alive and valuing what God is doing. Um, and the opposite of ingratitude is love and intimacy. And uh, in Psalm 37.4, there's a lovely um, verse that probably a lot of you have heard. It says, Delight yourselves in the Lord... And he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, that word delight in the Hebrew, anay, means soft, pliable, spontaneously loving and receptive, bubbling over, enjoying God. It's actually quite a childlike love for a father like um, Sophia's had for, for Doug. Just childlike uh, bubbliness. And the Bible says, unless we're like that, if we're, if we're not like a child, we're not going to enter the things of God. He wants us to be, oh, God, you're so good. I just love you so much. Oh, you're a good God. Thank you for giving me that. Thank you for that parking place. Thank you for that, you know, that good special I've just had. Thank you for, you know, like I got a car this week and I went to insure it. He said, we owe you money because I'd given my other one away and we hadn't cancelled it. He said, oh. 
Oh, well, well, actually, we owe you money. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. That's good. (laughs) And I just thank you for the lots of little things. And then it's, it's one of love and intimacy. And he said, if we're like that, he will give you, in other words, you'll take from heaven and put into your life. That give means take from one and put it, bestow it to another. Desires in your heart. Actually, the very desires in your heart will come from God himself. Desire means from the Father. You sire somebody when you father them. And desire means from God. So if you're so happy and love God and think, God, you're so good and like a child, appreciate him, he will actually drop into your heart desires and things that will just be from him. That's how he does it. But he wants that childlike gratitude. He wants us to value what he does. Value that revelation you got. Value that healing. Value that prophecy. Value the word from the Lord that's going to come to the church next week. Value the deliverance you might have had last week. Value the healing. Just thank you, Jesus. I feel so good. You're such a good God. So three things. Learn. Every crisis, every painful experience, everything you read. God, what are you saying to me? How do I have to shift my thinking about you? That, um, that's, you know, I've got to shift. Listen to him. The now revelation words he wanted to tell you right now on things you probably don't have a framework of reference to even operate from. But if we listen, we'll pick up all sorts of exciting stuff and gratitude and childlike loving and, and appreciation of every little thing he does do. If we do these three things, the prevailing atmosphere in this place will shift. It's actually a prevailing um, atmosphere which will be conducive to the miraculous happening. You know, if we just, you know, New Zealanders are not good at appreciating things. New Zealanders don't even appreciate their own country. They don't even scoff about how great New Zealand is. They put it down, if anything. It's a New Zealand trait. We don't value ourselves. We don't value our country. We don't value anything much. But we can shift. We can shift the pervading mindset in this place. We can be so excited about every little thing God does and so grateful like a child. And if we do that, I believe the prevailing atmosphere in this church will be totally different. Just think of all the things he's done and shift your thinking. Just listen and just be grateful. But you know, there's another verse in the Bible that says, unless you're born again, you won't even see any of these things. You won't even see them. Now, God wants us to understand, even that verse in, in, in Mark 8, if you, if you understand what he's trying to say, then you'll actually hear him speak, and then you'll begin to see there's a progression like that. But you actually won't see anything of God unless you're born again. Unless you're born again, you cannot see anything that God has for you. You won't, you won't see it. And right now, there may be somebody here who's not yet born again. This is, the, this is the doorway into the things of the Spirit. Opening your heart and receiving Jesus into your life, then your, your spirit's born again. You're alive to God, and from then on, you'll be able to have downloaded in you all the things God's trying to tell you. He kind of wants to download fresh stuff, take it from heaven and drop it into your heart and give you desires and thoughts and ideas you didn't have before. But our heart needs to be born again. Our spirit needs to be born again by the Spirit of God. So as I finish today, I just want to uh, give an, um, an opportunity for anybody here who's not yet born again, who can't receive the things of God because you're still in the kingdom of darkness. And if you willing today to open your heart and allow Jesus to come in, his spirit will enter into your spirit. And from then on, 
You'll be able to pick up and receive and respond to the things of God.